We've been covering today some of the Irish-Argentine story and talking to some people who have a very close relationship between Ireland and Argentina. And a former classmate of mine going back to my high school days in Banlaslow in Garbley, Dean Carey from Rochford Bridge, County Westmead. And we've been hearing it's a Westmead, Longford Westmead connection is very strong. And Liam's grandmother came from Argentina. And Liam is here with me, and Liam is going to tell us a bit about how that connection happened. Liam, thanks a million for coming along. Hi, Laura. Here I am. Hello to everyone. And uh, my granny, yeah, I didn't know her, actually, because she died when the next child was born after my mother. My mother was the penultima of eight. So I never got to meet her, but her sister was married to another neighbor. But she was born in the Argentine. My great-grandfather went to the Argentine probably in, 18, I think it was 1857, and came home 18 times from the Argentine. And he had sold up to come home at the end, but he brought home the, he brought home the children and sent them to Finians. The boys went to Finians, a couple of boys, and the girls were sent to school in Mullingar, I think it was the presentation, or Loretta, I'm not sure. But when, when they were, when they finished there, the good neighbour said, don't let those good-looking women go back to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> so they got them married anyway. So, so my granny. So Liam, for someone to come back from Argentina 18 times over the period of a life, like there's an awful lot of people who emigrated even to the UK and never made it yeah. back to Ireland. He right. obviously did very well for himself. And again, the relationship well, he went, was very strong. You see... Yeah, I'd say most of the people who went, 60% of the Argentinians, and I reckon there's about almost 400,000 Irish, Argent, Irish of Irish descent in Argentina. And 60% of them are from a very small area, about, it's probably about 20 square, kilo, square miles, you know, running into Moat, um, down to Ballymahan, Mullingar, that sort of area. From Rainy Mount Temple, right beside your own place, you know. Right. It's a very small area, and the went was a father Fahi down there, and he had already been working in the states at that time. So, and had been working in the cities. So he saw what happened the Irish in the cities, the difficulties and poverty and everything else at that time. But when he went to the Argentine, he encouraged them to go out to the countryside because they were coming from agricultural backgrounds, the vast majority of them, even though they were coming from, they were tenant farmers, like sir. The three, the three F's weren't, hadn't become law until years later, until the 1880s. Like they had well left at that stage. The emigration to the, the Reckon, the Irish, started in about the 1820s. And it started with a couple of people from Streamstown. I think the guy's name was Mooney. Okay. And his sister, who was married to, I don't know what, his, what the guy's name was. But there was an O'Brien who was part of the the revolutionary armies of, of San Martin, because Argentina got its independence in about 1816, 1820, around that time. And some of his generals, one of his generals was an O'Brien, who had already been in Spain, of, but of Irish descent. So he's, he sent them to Ireland to recruit. He wanted 200 shepherds. That's okay. some of the starting of it. And from there, it blossomed. You know, maybe 60%, about 20% of them were from down on the coast in Wexford, few more percent from Clare and some part of Cork and scattered around then, you know, from all over. Right. 
And, and you see how they got, how they became wealthy. If some of them they probably probably left or were encouraged to leave Ireland because they were changing the land structure from from tillage where they didn't need from tillage to beef. Beef was becoming important at that time, and it was pretty good land. So they wanted them off. The landlords, I'd say, wanted them off, and they encouraged them to go. You know, in that sense. So my uncle, my great grand uncle, had a few shillings to go. He had to leave a farm, so he was some sort of. You know, he went with a few bob in his pocket. He didn't. But once he got out there and you got land, like they were paid with 10% of the herd. Right. If you were 10,000 sheep or 10,000 sheep, you got 10% of the herd each year. Wow. You know, which there was opportunity, you know, in that sense at that time. And, 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 and when you got the herd, as I understand it, then land was available if you... If you oh, there was land available. It may not, like, we see it as being available, but, like, they have invaded it, rather, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It was indigenous people there, you know. And, like, how they were treated. I remember one time being down visiting, and I was off out in the countryside, and I was passing by because my uncle became a priest, the guy, he was sent to Finians, and he left. He went from Finians to Rome and back to South America. And he, he, he died during the World Cup of 78, I think it was, in, in, during that. But, like, he was 60 years in the one place, but he used to go out. And I remember going out, and a woman brought me out. He wasn't alive when I went there. But a lady brought me out who knew him very well and said, here, you, he used to stop here for his cup of tea on the way out if there were an Irish family. And I saw a cannon there just by the wind. And I says, what's this cannon for? He says, you must remember when we came down here first, we had to defend ourselves. <laughs> you know, they didn't say we had to. We were in the base there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how they saw it. I know. You know? And it's the conquest. Like the, they were, At that stage, they were only about 300 kilometers outside of Buenos Aires. Okay. You know? That's 18, 1880s, 1890s, the 1900s. Like Argentina was still virgin territory in that sense, mm-hmm. you know, right as seen as ripe for for invasion. You know? and that's why they became pretty well off, and they, they held on to their English for a long time. Like my, my, I've met my first cousins of my mother down there, and they speak perfect English with a Westmeath accent. Yeah, and <laughs> but been around the world as well a little bit, but they've. You know, they're still their English from that, from that. And I was asked, um, it was, I think it was the 120th anniversary of, of the Southern Cross. There was an English, an English paper there, which was sort of keep the Irish in touch, you know. But I met people at that. That was very interesting, you know, hearing some of the stories. But that was life. Yeah, so then. you then have a wealth of relatives still that are there. I have, I've, there's other cousins that were cabinets from Mullingar, but they, there was two of them on the, on the Olympic winning team in 1936 in, in Berlin. Right. Would have gone a lot earlier. They would have been, they were on my father's side. Right. My, he was on my mother's side, you know, the, the, my great-grandfather that went to South, to, to Argentina. Because the cabinets were more on my, on my father's side. No, so I have double connections there. So, Liam, then, the, you know, often we hear when the Irish go abroad, the 
Irish influence permeates life wherever they arrive. But given that your grandmother uh, came back to Ireland, did the Argentine influence permeate within your family and come down through? I remember as a kid, you see, because of the connection, and some of those cousins came back visiting. But I remember, like, the Christmas time, there'd be cards, and they'd be written in Spanish. You know, Christmas cards, those boxes of them at home, you know, that came from the Argentine, from my granny's time as well. Right. So there was, there was contact, but it would... And because that, that's... He was a grand-uncle of mine, would it be? Yes. He, he was a uh, first cousin of my mother's. But he used to come home every 10 years and he'd be bringing news and information and all the rest, you know, the context. And I was destined to have the opportunity to meet some of them, you know, down there in their, in their habitat, you know. Right. At, this stage, at this stage, many of them have moved into the urban world, you know, and into the cities. Um, I, I understand on one of your trips there that you had an interesting incident where you were handed an envelope. Oh, that's right, yeah. I went, I was staying with my, my cousin, and um, he handed me an envelope, and he says, there's a letter for you. <laughs> my friend of yours, oh, big girl, Tom, Tommy Ganley from, from Drumraney. And I hadn't seen him, I'd say, for 30 years before that. Maybe, maybe 35, 40 years. <laughs> and he had stayed with him, because he, Tommy had been down there at least 20 times. You know, he spent, he loved Argentina, and he went there on his summer holidays, or winter break, probably, you know, because it'd be down there in January or February, you know. Right. Long, long evenings, giving them off. <laughs> so you're the other side of the world, and you're handed a, a, a personal delivery from a former no. classmate. <laughs> I was on my way back to Peru at the time, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, and we didn't say it at, at, earlier on, but Liam, you're a Colombian father, and you had spent many years in South America. That's right, yeah. Well, I've been, I spent the last 35 years between Peru and Brazil, you know, or Brazil and Peru. I started in Peru as a student and then was ordained and sent to Brazil, up in the, the northeast of Brazil, way up in the north. Right. And right along the equator, actually. And I finished up in the Amazon on a triple frontier between Bolivia, Brazil and Peru. And Lee, would, would you say, and this is oftentimes what we hear in reverse, you know, we get people coming, they'll come to Ireland and they would have been the descendants of people who emigrated in the early 1800s or around the time of the famine and they get off the plane that they arrive in Dublin and they get this sense of home. Did you feel any emotional connection when you arrived in the Argentine? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I always sort of, I always longed to go there, to get there somewhere, you know, at, so, at some stage, you know. And just the open pampas and, you know, and seeing Irish names over shops. I remember walking down the street and I saw Nally, you know, and there was heaps of Nally's in Ballymore. <laughs> and we're going into him and he spoke perfect English. And he said, no, I never was in Ireland. Yeah. And that, my, my cousin was a priest or is a priest, he died just about two years ago at 92. But I was in the convent for my dinner one day, you know, with him, and there were six guys around the table, one of German extraction, but the five other guys were all of Irish extraction. Right. You know, they were all, and they were all spoke English, and they looked like you could put them in a pub there in Castletown Gagan or anywhere else. 
and they'll be quite at home. You know, they put a glass of whiskey in their hand. We're going to have to wrap up because I have to keep an eye on time. And you mentioned Tommy Ganley, and Tommy comes from a large family from Drumraney, but we're going to hear from Tommy. But before we do, music is a very much part of every culture. Is there a piece of music that we should share? Oh, well, maybe you can hop on a bit of the Dubliners there. There's Opus, Negros. I think Ronnie Drew said Ronnie Drew was involved in that one. Good. Liam, it's been a real honour and, and fantastic chatting with you, and thanks a million for taking the time. Oh, and great. fantastic also for you and I to reconnect. Yeah. 